0: Welcome to Sistry History, the podcast where we two sisters discuss a historical event or experience, but instead of facts and figures, we focus on the senses to offer a different perspective on things. In each episode, we will take a few historical primary sources and have a light-hearted chat about the sounds, smells, tastes, you get the idea. I'm little sister Caroline. I'm big sister Laura. We hope you'll find out something interesting you didn't know before, or perhaps you'll think about something in a different way. But mostly, we'd love you to have fun. Welcome to season two, episode five, going for gold. Alongside the well-known Olympics, there were three other major games in the ancient Greek calendar. The Pythian games held at Delphi, the Isthmian games at Corinth, and the Nemean games at Nemea. Smaller local festivals also held athletic events, sporting glory being much admired and sought after. Unlike modern games, where different nations compete for a range of medals, the ancient variety were very much Greek. You couldn't take part unless you were a Greek, and you had to prove it. They were even referred to as Pan-Hellenic, which translates as All Greek, just in case you hadn't already got the message. And there were no second or third prizes, you either won or you lost. These weren't secular occasions, as our modern games are. They were religious festivals, honouring gods and heroes, underpinned by ritual and sacrifice. Nevertheless, we do see similarities with today. Some of the events were the same. There were opening and closing ceremonies. And of course, there was the prize giving. What's more fun, though, is to look for the differences, the unexpected and the unusual. Let's get started. Before we get started though, Laura, I would just like to say a quick thank you to everybody who's contacted us on social media or on our email address. We really do appreciate it. Thank you ever so much. We do. Quite right. And on the theme of new people, who are our sources today, Laura? Well, we have a visual source to start with, Statue Bases from Olympia, which you are going to tell us all about. Correct. Then we have an epigram, which is a dedication from Arceus of Ilva. Then we have a new entry, Caroline, and you might want to admit something at this point. Okay, I have a cheat entry today, and his name is Pausanius, and I'm bringing him in the back entrance, okay? <laughs> Pausanius, a Greek traveller and geographer. He was writing in the 2nd century AD, so you're wildly off our classical greek period here he's not contemporary but he did write a lot about the games so we're giving him and you a free pass what's a couple of hundred years (laughs) between ancient mates (laughs) exactly sorry about that everyone and finally we've got plato who we've met before philosopher from athens of a noble family friend and pupil of socrates and he was around in the fourth century bce so not a cheat entry i would just like that noted for the official record On the subject of cheating, Mm -hmm. shall we start with my first source? Yes, let's. I'm going to show you a picture, Laura. And we will, of course, put this picture on our lovely new website, as well as our Instagram and Twitter feeds. We will indeed. As you can see, here are a series of statue bases. Yes. These line the road approaching the stadium tunnel at Olympia. They don't have the statues on them anymore. But they did once hold a bit larger than life statues of Zanes. And Zanes just means Zeus in the local dialect. So on these statue bases were lots of Zeuses. Oh. In bronze, larger than life size, holding thunderbolts. Okay. Different images or the same one? From the layout of the feet on the plinths, it looks like the stance was the the same, at least. These statues, as I said, lined the road that the athletes would walk up on their way to the stadium. So they would literally pass them by just before going through the stadium tunnel and competing. These statues were erected and paid for, importantly, with the fines imposed on cities and individuals from those cities who were found to be cheating at the Olympic Games. Ooh, okay. The base of these statues had engraved the name of the city and the name of the individual who cheated. Correct. Recorded for posterity for all to see. So you know the idea of damnatio memore, wiping people out from existence (gasps) because they were shameful. Ripping down their statues, cutting out their faces from wall paintings, that Mm. kind of thing. Erasing their names from epigrams or inscriptions. This is the opposite of that. (laughs) What you've got is a historical record, a representation of those people who were naughty and it's going to stay there forever. And it's reminding all of those other people who are walking in as competitors, you better not cheat because otherwise this is going to follow you for the rest of your life. Exactly, that's exactly it. This statue of the king of the gods, Zeus is the king of the gods, is looking over you, reminding you not to cheat, Not only did the people see you cheat, but the gods saw you cheat as well. And the Olympics are Zeus's games, aren't they? So they are honouring him. Well, you are dishonouring him. Well, this is true. By cheating. Yeah. So imagine the quite imposing nature of all these Zeus's glittering in bronze, looming over you as you walk up towards the stadium. Must have been quite intimidating to look at. Yes. My cheat guy who's with us here, Pausanias... (laughs) <laughs> Did also mention that on the basis of some of these statues, there were inscriptions encouraging you not to cheat. One of them apparently said something along the lines of, "These statues, Greeks, are words to the wise. Do not use bribes to win our prize." Ooh. So not only is it the physical reminder of cheating, but it's how expensive it could be to cheat because <laughs> it's really w- not in your interests. Really not. Everyone will hate you because it will cost your city money. Yeah the shame the everlasting shame and the reason you go to these games is to win glory or kleos right hmm. this idea of kleos so you're not only losing here you're cheating you're double bad and the concept of arete as well excellence or virtue it's not just about winning the competition or being the strongest or being the fastest You've got to be a good, virtuous person as well. So if you're cheating, you're definitely not that, are you? The whole thing is awful and they want you to remember it for eternity. It's not only, though, these fines that paid for the statues that were looking at you and judging you as you walked up to the stadium. The Helenodike, or the judges of Greece, were the judges at the Olympic Games and they were in charge of imposing these fines if anyone was found to cheat or be bribed or anything like that. And they also, if you look at the imagery, they also had long sticks that they would just beat people with. If, if <laughs> <That's> any <anyone>, excellent. <laughs> if anyone was doing an illegal, I don't know, wrestling hold or something like gouged. that. Exactly. Yeah. They would just beat them. So That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, cheating was quite literally dealt with in a very, very visual way at Olympia. Yes. Excellent. Very swift retribution for any naughty activity. I'm fully supportive of this. And everlasting. Yeah. The Helena DK also had very striking purple robes. Did you know? I did not know that. I like that fact. So sticks and purple robes. Yeah. You're not going to miss them. Okay, then. We've got Zeus judging at Olympia. Mm -hmm. Ably assisted by the Helena DK and making sure that you don't cheat. With their sticks. With the sticks. And at Nemea, Zeus was also there as well because the Nemean games honoured Zeus also. Well, he's the king of the gods. Yeah, I suppose. And then at the Pythian games at Delphi, we've got Apollo. Naturally. Of course. And then the Isthmian games, which were at Corinth, they honour Poseidon. Oh, that's nice. I feel like he sometimes gets a bit left out. I know, because he's just hanging out in the sea, easy to get missed. One thing that I do like about all of those four major games is the main prize that was on offer. We're not talking medals here, nothing like that we're talking foliage. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a worthy prize though. Yeah. And you do love a hat. I do love a hat. Yes, this is true. Would you like to train for 10 months in the And then just get a hat. <laughs> just get a hat made of celery. Yeah, so celery was really popular actually. Maybe it was a hardy grower in Greece, who knows, but you got, you got a wreath of celery in At the Nemean Games and the Isthmian Games. I suppose it's quite bendy, quite easy to fashion into a headpiece. I suppose. If you let it it turn. Try and make a wreath out of celery. It's going to be harder than the laurel wreaths that you got at Delphi or the olive wreaths that you got at Olympia. You know, if you get crudités, get a bit of celery, that isn't easy to bend. At least you can have a snack, I guess, on your way home wearing your hat. I I feel like we're digressing. (laughs) We really are. But apart from the foliage, other things were on offer, depending on the city that you were representing, you might get different sorts of honours or acclaim when you got back to your home city. I do believe it was quite common for people to get ribbons. Right. Okay. (laughs) You're looking at me like you don't believe me. No, it's fine. It's just I don't really feel like I can sustain my life just with ribbons and foliage. No. Money. Okay. okay yeah, no, occasionally no, we're, we're you might get money. Something. Free meals. That was a big one. Yes, sign yes. me up. Sandwiches for life. Free sandwiches. Yeah. You might get sponsorship from wealthy people, like you might do today. A really good athlete might get sponsored by Nike, I guess, mm-hmm. or Adidas. Land statues. Oh, wow. Yeah. And of course you get the kudos, the social standing. The kleos. The kleos. The renown. So it really did pay then to win. Yeah, and not to cheat. Shall we move on to my first source? Please. This is an epigram. It's a dedication to Apollo from Arceus of Ivla, Ivla being where Arceus came from. Accept this statue with certainty, benevolent Apollo, from Arceus of Ivla, son of Eucles, who proclaimed thrice the Olympic competition without any volume accessory attached to his salpinks. I have no idea what you're talking (laughs) about. What are salpinks? It's a trumpet. Oh, fine. So that's what they used to call trumpets. Salpinks? That's a nicer word than trumpet, isn't it? It's quite pleasing. I presume, therefore, that we're considering sound. We are considering sound. So we talk here about the trumpets. Initially, trumpeters would just announce the winners of various athletic competitions during the games. But later on... From 396 BC, at the Olympics, a trumpeters and heralds competition was included. Oh wow, so there's actually trumpeting competitions? Yes. That's fun. It is fun, isn't it? And what would happen would be that the winners would then get the honour of announcing rounds and events and announcing winners for the rest of the game. So I really like this because when I think about the Olympics and ancient games or modern games, you just think... Physical activities mainly, don't you? You, th- you think of the athletics, the pentathlon, the wrestling, the boxing. But I really like the idea of the heralds and the trumpets having a chance to showcase their efforts. Did they get reeds too, or do we not know? I'm presuming they did. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, why not, right? Yeah. The heralds, so I imagine some of this would just be vocal ability. And I don't think that they're looking for beauty of tone. I think they're looking for sheer loudness here. So this is a bit similar to the Spartan voting system. It's a shouting competition. shouting competition, yeah. (laughs) Or how loudly can you blow your trumpet competition. (laughs) So they want really robust sounds, clarity of sound, and also rhythmic patterns consistency mm-hmm. you don't want a big blast and then it tapering off and then getting bigger again you want consistency controlled controlled trumpeting is what we're looking for here do you think <laughs> i don't know. Oh, I know what to say there <laughs> well it's a good moral for life in general controlled <laughs> <laughs> control your trumpet controlled trumpeting <laughs> i mean that is true in many contexts some events it seemed did have trumpet accompaniment or some sort of musical... <laughs> You've got tears in your eyes. <laughs> it seems that some of the events may have had trumpet accompaniment or at least some sort of musical fanfare attached to them, which may have been off-putting. No, I feel like, you know, if you're doing the long jump and people clap nowadays, don't they? Do... Uh, 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 yeah. Kind of yeah, I suppose it could work in some scenarios. But what if you're in a... Say you're in the Pankration, mm. which is the naked... Basically mixed martial arts wrestling, yes. no holds barred. Yeah. Do you really want someone blowing a trumpet really hard when you're trying to avoid some other chap's naked buttocks and might distract you at the last minute? You mean? Yeah. yeah. I'm That's... not sure it's going to work. <laughs> I know what you mean. Mm. If it was a sport that doesn't need a rhythmical meter to it, then it could be distracting, especially if he's just playing, you know, some acid jazz or something. <laughs> Did they have acid jazz in classical Greece? <laughs> Yeah, I do think that if you're in the zone, you're trying to focus, it could just really put you off. Mm. So my jury is out on that one. Right. Sources do tell of a very tall man who could play two trumpets at once. Don't. (laughs) What is the significance of him being very tall? I have no idea. It was just part of the description of him. Okay, skill. That's all I can say. (laughs) But what I would like to know is, don't you need two hands to play one trumpet? I mean, I've never played a trumpet, but you've got to hold it and the keys or... Yes, but we're, I don't I mean, think they don't have that's... keys in, in ancient Greece. Yeah, I think we're thinking of a modern trumpet. Think more of a just a horn that mm. you can change the tone of with your mouth. But again, you might need two mouths. So it's the same, <laughs> This is true. <laughs> it's the same point. <laughs> yeah, I'm unsure whether that is factual or just hearsay. Did but he anyway. win the, the trumpeting competition? Because he should have done. He should have done. I think, though, going back to your point about the similarities to the Spartan voting approach, the shouting voting, they do resonate here, don't they? So, if you're one of the Heralds, how are you going to make yourself heard? I mean, trumpet, fair enough. You know, you've got that instrument there. But the Heralds, who are just using their voices, how many people are at these games? We're talking 30,000, 40,000? How many you can fit in, really? Yeah. You've got not much chance of being heard, I would have thought. It must have helped to be tall. Yes. Because you could then carry above people's heads. That's true. carry. If you recall the extract that I read you from the epigram, it said, who proclaimed thrice the Olympic competition without any volume accessory attached to his salpinks. So that implies to me that there were ways or things that you could use to make your trumpet even louder. That's interesting. I wonder what they were like. I know. We'll need to do some follow-up analysis, I think. Okay, what have you got for me next? I've got my cheat card, sorry. Uh, Yes. Pausanias. Go on then. Pausanias has a description of Greece. This is from book 5, 13.8 to 14.1, where he is describing the altar at the Temple of Zeus at Olympia. I've compressed Pausanias' description here. I must just add Mm -hmm. that in. It has been made from the ash of the thighs of the victim sacrificed to Zeus. The first level of the altar has a circumference of 38 metres. The total height of the altar reaches to 7 metres. The animals themselves, it is the custom to sacrifice on the lower level, but the thighs, they carry up to the highest part of the altar and burn them there. The steps that lead to the first level from either side are made of stone, but those leading from this to the upper part of the altar are, like the altar itself, composed of ashes. Every year the priests bring the ash, and making it into a paste with the water of the river, they daub the altar therewith. But never may the ash be made into paste with any other water, and for this reason the Alpheus River is thought to be, of all the rivers, the dearest to Olympic's use. There is a story that when Heracles was sacrificing at Olympia, he was so much worried by flies, so either on his own initiative or at somebody's suggestion, he sacrificed to Zeus Averter of flies, and thus the flies were diverted to the other side of the river. It is said that in the same way, the locals too still sacrificed to Zeus Averter of flies to drive the flies out of Olympia. 38 metres circumference. And 7 metres high. Of ash. Of ash and a burnt thigh. That's correct. Lovely. So, I would like you to consider smells. Ugh, I am, and it's not good. Mm. As we have just heard, the altar of Zeus' at Olympia was not built of stone, as you would mm. imagine an altar to be, but of ash. And that ash was built up from the animals sacrificed to Zeus at his altar, specifically the thigh bones. Why were they so popular? It's the best bit, isn't it? It's as big Yeah. it is. Yeah. The meat and the fat on the thigh. Because in your extract they said that that was sacrificed up to the top levels of the altar. Yes, and mm-hmm. then every year the altar was made bigger by mixing the ashes with some water from the local yeah. river and then sticking it on. There's no wonder that this altar was so big. So not only were they sacrificing a hecatomb of cattle, so that's a 100 cattle, which, as you can imagine, would attract a cloud of flies, mm-hmm. the smell of the blood, the flesh... And then also the cooking of the meat would attract flies, as it does to any barbecue nowadays. Yeah. But the site of Olympia itself was bound to be very, very smelly. You've got thousands of people effectively camping for at least five days. In the height of summer Mm. in Greece, we're talking July, August, the level of the river would therefore be quite low because Mm. it's summer. Where does the waste go Mm, Where does the cleaning happen? You've got limited bathing and bathroom facilities. It's going to be stinky. You're going to be going to the toilet in the river with the water that you're going to then slap onto the altar. What I want to consider, especially with this extract, is the altar is made of ash. Now, Pausanias does go on to say that only white poplar can be used to burn things on this altar. White poplar burns very hot, very quick, and also produces a lot of ash. So maybe that's one of the reasons why this mound is so high. Yeah. But smoke and ash does have some qualities that controls pests, controls insects. Mm. Did the smell of all that ash and smoke, did that keep flies away? And is that where this myth of Zeus Averter of flies has come from? Oh, that's interesting. It is interesting, isn't it? Flies don't like smoke. They also don't like ash. So if you keep ash in a grate, it keeps pests away. That okay. kind of thing. So I wonder if the accumulation of all of this stuff was actually keeping pests away. In addition to this altar, there were at least 65 other altars scattered across the Olympic site. If you were offering incense at these altars, for example, incense can also keep insects away. Some of the ancient sources mention Epictetus, I think, mentions that Olympia is horrible and smelly and hot and oppressive. It doesn't mention flies. Actually, Mm. none of the other sources mention flies being an issue. So it's either... They're not worth mentioning because they're everywhere anyway and everyone's so used to them. Mm. Absolutely fair. Or maybe there were no flies. But you do hear references to Zeus, the averter of flies. They're praying to him. Probably because it's working, right? Yeah. I I like it. I like the theory. So it's not Zeus that's keeping the flies away. It's the more practical aspects of the smoke and the ash. Is my theory. Caroline, you should write a paper on this. It's a shame that this altar no longer exists, but as you can imagine, something organic made of ash isn't really there anymore. But it was in Pausanias' time, and that is why I played my cheat card. I think that's fair. You are forgiven. Pausanias also mentions that ladies were allowed to sacrifice on the lower levels of the altar, but they weren't allowed up to the top. There is a bit of a myth that women weren't allowed at all to the Olympic games. Mm. They were, weren't they? I read that married women couldn't attend, but unmarried women could. Sometimes it was ladies who were offering services, selling services, that would go. Or priestesses, that would make sense. But there were the Horion Games, if you were a lady who wished to partake. The Horion Games were an athletic festival specifically for girls, held every four years at Olympia. I think it was just running races though, a selection of running races, not the boxing or the naked wrestling. You could also, if you're a lady, you could enter chariots into the chariot races. Because we actually haven't mentioned this, have we? But chariot races were quite a big part of the Games. They were, definitely. The Orion Games made me think then of the photos that you took when you went to Nemea mm. and you found the starting blocks. Yes. And you pretended to be Atalanta. I did, It's the fastest I've ever run actually. <laughs> Actually, the stadium at Nemea is incredible. So if anyone is in the vicinity, don't drive past it. It's definitely worth it. I'd love to go. On the subject of different games, shall we do my final source, which refers to the Bendea festival? I've never heard of the Bendea. Uh-huh. Have you heard of the goddess Bendis? No, was she very good at gymnastics? <laughs> she was very bendy. No, she was a Thracian goddess and the Bendea festival was honouring her. My extract is from Plato's Republic, book one, lines 41 to 55, and the sense I'll be considering here is sight. Adamantus said to me, Has no one told you of the torch race on horseback in honour of the goddess which will take place this evening? With horses? I replied. That is a novelty. Will horsemen carry torches and pass them to one another during the race? Yes, said Polemarchus, and not only that, but a festival will be celebrated at night, which you certainly ought to see. Let us rise soon after supper and see this festival. There'll be a gathering of friends and we'll have a good talk. Do stay. That sounds delightful. Doesn't it? So here we have Socrates recounting a meeting with some friends the previous day down at the Piraeus. And the Piraeus, which is the harbour in Athens, is where the Bendeia festival would be celebrated. We've got a beautiful image here of an evening torch race on horseback. Not only the carrying of multiple torches, but passing them along. Very pretty, like the fires dancing. (gasps) Yes, I would like to witness that festival. Me too. Now, we have some health and safety concerns, however. Fire. Yeah. So have you ever done a relay race? I was okay at relay races because I was always quite good at handing over the baton. Oh, were you good at receiving the baton also? Yes, that was kind of my my thing. So that was the bit that I always struggled with. Some people could just keep their eyes forward, put their hand back, and then they'd receive the baton neatly. Yeah. Yeah, then they'd power off. I would always look behind, and then you kind of disrupt your balance a bit, and it never worked. Well, you didn't trust the person who was giving you... Maybe I didn't. Uh. (laughs) Ah. But anyway, so if you find a relay race tricky enough with just a standard baton, imagine it's at night, you're on horseback. Yes. And it's on fire. And it's on fire. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Not all of the torch races that we know of were on horseback, so some were running races. But with fire? But still with fire. Still with fire. Yeah. Okay. The aim was, of course, to get to the end of the race with your torch still aflame. Oh, I see. Okay. Because I guess they could get dropped quite easily. Dropped, or maybe you're running so fast the flame goes out? Possibly. festivals where these torch races would happen were often in honour of either Hephaestus, God of Fire, or Prometheus, who stole fire from the gods and gave it to humanity. The torch races on foot were done in the nude yeah so that could have been harrowing couldn't it tie your hair up tie your hair up but what if you've got a new guy Mm. what if he drops his torch gets nervous hasn't had a wax (laughs) there could be all sorts of things going on this is very risky business if you ask me but coming back to the visuals very very (laughs) striking (laughs) very greek the greeks did like to display their nakedness didn't they they were very comfortable well Pausanias, my cheat extract does mention the reason that they started to take part in the games naked and it was because they used to wear a loincloth and then one day this guy was running and he accidentally on purpose (laughs) his loincloth came off (laughs) and he thinks he did it because he realized it's actually easier to run without any clothes on right but a loincloth's not that big anyway is it going to make a huge amount of difference to the aerodynamics i guess it's hot it is hot that's true And I think it's something about showing off your excellence. Masculine form. Yeah. The very epitome and representation of physical ability or prowess. Mm. And it's sexy. (laughs) Well, we can't get away from that. (laughs) I would rather, though, watch a delightful torch race of an evening. We'll get Plato along. He can join us. (laughs) I might choose Plato as my quiz companion, then, if you don't mind. That would be wise. Today's quiz, five points are available. I hope you were listening when we talked about the foliage. Oh, okay. So question one, four points are available for question one. Oh. And it is match the foliage to the games. Olympic, Pythian, Isthmian, Nemean. Olympic was oak leaves. Pythian was laurel leaves. Nemean was celery. And I mean, was celery. (laughs) Yes. Really? Well, you got the last three right. Olympic was olive, not oak. Oh. So three out of four though, that's good. And question two. Two of the major games honored the god Zeus. Which two? Half a point for each. These were the Olympic games and the Nemean games. Yay, well done. Four out of five, 80%. Hey, that's all right. Yeah, good work. I feel like that's an improvement on last time. I can't remember. (laughs) well i had a very nice time at the games today did you i had a fantastic time which was your favorite event well i was really really good at the trumpet playing and the shouting were you so i've come (laughs) home with ribbons and foliage well done join us next time for the season two finale where we'll be talking about the greek symposium or drinking party remember to like rate or subscribe wherever you download your podcasts you can contact us on Instagram, Twitter, via our email account, sisteryhistory@gmail.com, at gmail.com, or why not visit our website, www.sisteryhistory.co.uk. Thanks for joining us, folks. See you next time. See you next time. Bye.